Hi, and welcome to The Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. Now let's dive right on in. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us tonight in a special YouTube live episode. Um, Our episode is going to be a little bit different tonight, and before we discuss that, I do want to highlight our episode spotlight today, and that is Bat Lessons Podcast. They are a Batman history podcast that covers characters, stories, writers, artists, movie directors, business, politics, and more. Everything in and around Batman, they start at the very beginning and work their way chronologically through 80 years of Batman. So um, if you want to check them out, I really love this podcast. I've actually just recently been a guest on their show, and I think they do fantastic work. It's one of my favorite podcasts I love listening to. So if you're interested in checking this podcast out, I will definitely put a link in the show notes below for you all. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about today's episode. If you listened to last week's episode, episode 101, uh, you probably heard me say that Matt Kent is going to come on the show to talk about uh, one of his latest comic books that he created, uh, Mr. Mammoth. Unfortunately, he emailed me last night saying that uh, he had COVID and that he wasn't going to be able to come on the show. So we're going to try to reschedule uh, for him to come on the show. But because of that, um, I was trying to figure out what can we talk about to make sure that we have an episode for y'all to listen to. And because that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse movie is coming out, which by the way, next week's episode is going to be a review of that movie with Ellie from the All Day Show. I thought it might be fun to talk about the uh, origin stories and first appearances of Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, and Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara, since they're going to be in the movie. Um, And then when I started researching this a little bit uh, this morning, I realized I don't know much about their origin stories in the comics, and it took me a long time to kind of figure out where their origin stories are really being told at. So I decided that I was going to focus a little bit more on the first appearances and kind of have a general discussion about their origin stories. Um, And I thought it would be fun to go to YouTube Live because I know there's so many of you out there who are probably very well versed in their origin stories. And so going on YouTube Live allows you to be part of the discussion. I'll make sure to share your comments uh, during the episode. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast version of that, unfortunately, you will be able to engage in the conversation since this has already been uh, part uh, recorded. And as you can probably tell, um, there probably won't be a whole lot of editing, unfortunately, because of that. Um, so you might hear some you know, mess ups with this. And so I apologize in advance. Um, but I want to let you know that I do have a special guest joining us today, and that person is the editor-in-chief of Comic Watch, Matt Meyer. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, Sean. Thank you for uh, having me. I, I know you, I feel bad knowing that you couldn't get uh, Matt Kidd. I hope that he uh, gets to feeling better soon. Um, thankfully, we're, we're well past the point where COVID is, you know, COVID. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to be here. The, yeah. the lesser of two mats. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And, and he said that, 
you know, this was like his first time getting it. So he's, you know, this is like really brand new to him and all that. Um, so yeah, so I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you jumping on the show at the last minute. You were really enthusiastic when I, you know, asked people, you know, if anyone wanted to come on the show and you were right on top of it. And I appreciate you, um, you know, do, coming on the show to talk about this. And I also appreciate your uh, patience because I know I said we were going to start at a certain time and I had to push it back a little bit because I was working all day to kind of get all this figured out because uh, I wasn't planning on going live and I thought it'd be a lot of fun to do it this year. So um, so before we start talking about first appearances of Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen and uh, Miguel O'Hara, um, we have a few comments have come in already. You're the collector said, let's go. I know he's really excited about um, uh, watching this. He actually tweeted me and asked when we were going to go live. Anthony Bergamini from Comic Watch gave some applause emoji as well. And then You're the Collector said, no apologies needed. We love it live and unedited. I know a lot of people really enjoyed that, so I appreciate hearing that. Thank you very much. Um, Matt, before we talk about um, our episode topic tonight, I want to ask you, uh, first of all, you've been on the show before. I've actually had you on the show back in September, I believe, to talk about Comic Watch. And that was when we first started to have the Caption Life kind of fall under uh, the Comic Watch family umbrella. And I want to ask you... Um, what is your origin story with Spider-Man or any of these characters of Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, uh, Miguel O'Hara? What's your origin story with these characters? How did you get introduced yeah. to them? Uh, okay. Spider-Man, take it back to 93, Maximum Carnage. Um, you know, I was 13. Up till that point, I was only reading X-Men. I was curious to uh, branch out a little bit. Had no idea who. I knew who Spider-Man was. So mm-hmm. I picked up this issue of Amazing Spider-Man number 378. And it's got Spidey watching Carnage and Venom uh, duke it out uh, as drawn by Mark Bagley. And I mean, that was it. I was hooked. So nice. I mean, really, in a, in a very small nutshell, that, that's my Spidey origin story. I love the character. Um, he's relatable. He's mm-hmm. the original every man hero. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he, he just set that mold. And to me, <clears throat> because of that, he's one of like the three or four most important superheroes ever invented period. He he is the most popular one in the world as well too, actually. Sure. Yeah. They did some sort of survey. I forget how they figured it out, but it's really interesting because I think if I remember correctly, um, Spider-Man is the most popular superhero, I think, in like 25 or 27 countries. And then second place was Wonder Woman with like eight or seven or something like that. So oh, wow. it's like a huge, yeah, huge difference with that. Um, so, yeah, so he's a very popular character. I know for me, um, comic-wise, I didn't really get into reading Spider-Man comics until recently when I you know, decided to read comics um, again as an adult. Uh, but for the character, you know, I was in high school when the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi's uh, Spider-Man movies came out. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was familiar with Spider-Man already because, of, you know, when you're growing up, you see all these characters and all these heroes, either in toys or animated shows or things like that. But my first, like, really vivid memory was that movie, um, especially with my cousin, because I remember he was a huge Spider-Man fan. 
And I remember when we walked out of that movie, um, he would tell me that, you know, all the things that were like really, really great. But then he would tell me like what's very different from in the movie from the comics as well, too. And I remember very distinctively like the web shooters. Like that was the biggest thing people talked about. Like the Green not- Goblin is not a Power Rangers villain in comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all those things. Yeah. So that that was my introduction to Spider-Man. And then, to be honest, uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, and Spider-Man 299, I feel like I probably knew of them. Like, Sp- Miles Morales and uh, Gwen Stacy as Spider-Gwen are relatively new, right? Like, uh, yeah. Miles Morales was created in 2011, so about 12 years ago. I think um, Gwen Stacy as Spider-Gwen was created around 2014. So they're relatively new. Yeah. Spider-Man 299 has been around since the 90s. Um, but 90s. I think really... Yeah, yeah. And I think really um, my introduction to them was probably, you know, the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie, um, because I think well, I've always me, like, heard about the characters. Let me just say, yeah. I, let me just, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 you're good. Um, but let, let me just say, how great is that, that this one film is introducing you and so many other viewers to these great characters? Mm. How many doors are getting opened to young minds and young viewers and older uh, readers and viewers just by learning about these characters and watching them interact in on the big screen. Like that's awesome. Agreed. Yeah. You know, and, and my son, his favorite, favorite superhero right now is Miles Morales, Spider-Man, you know, and, and because of that movie and just because of everything else that's came out of that, the, the video game that PlayStation came out with uh, two or three years ago, Mm-hmm. By the way, you know, the second game looks uh, Spider-Man 2 looks like it's going to be amazing. Um, but that game was just Get phenomenal. Him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that game was just phenomenal. I remember playing it and I love not only the um, the gameplay of it, but like the story mm-hmm. that they put into it because they did such a great job in the first Spider-Man movie. And I felt like they amped it up in the Miles Morales video game as well, too. So it's just it's just like you said, it's opened up a lot of possibilities and a lot of um new audiences to this character. And I mean, there's yeah. so many things I can go into with the movie in terms of like how phenomenal it is beyond just the film, but the film itself is also just amazing and, and storytelling and the animation and everything. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. Um, but yeah, so that's good to know our Spider-Man origin stories uh, real quick in the comments. Um, you're the collector said, yes, Matt, you, Matt, thank you for saving this podcast is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I- Shucks. Yeah, yeah, I somewhat, I, I, I sense there's a hint of sarcasm there. Yeah. Now he's, he's, he's you, you yeah, done he's just joking. fine yeah. without me, buddy. Yeah, you'd have uh, done okay. Yeah. Uh, Gabriel De Zeus from Comic Watch said live shows are best are the best shows. <laughs> yes, um, you're absolutely. Collect- you're the collector. Said my first Spider-Man comic was Rain. Um, and then he said off. LOL. It's O O O F F F. I don't know if that's like if you meant like oof or if it's supposed to be like rain off with like an extended. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> guess it's oof. Yes. Um there's, there's something very, very infamous about Spider-Man Rain. And if you know what it is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Don't know what it is. This is a family-friendly podcast, and I'm gonna tell you just Google it on your own. Yes. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, Gabriel DeJesus said Spider-Man Unlimited cartoon for Miguel, uh, was his introduction to the character, um, which I forgot. Okay. Yeah. I, I forgot. That's where he's, uh, appeared at before. I, I actually never yeah. seen any of the Spider-Man animated shows, um, when they came out. I saw like, the one from the nineties, of course. Yeah. I never um, saw that one. 
Like I've never seen. Oh wow! Yet. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was cool, man. It was. Uh, I mean, X Men would come on, and then bang, Spider Man. Yeah, great time. <laughs> Fox Fox Kids. Um. um yeah. Uh, Anthony Bergamini said, "Ultimate Spider-Man will always be my favorite iteration of the character." Then introduction mm. Miles builds on everything, creating an amazing new character. And death of Peter Parker gets me every time I read it. Um, uh, yeah, we're uh, hey Berg, we're, we're going to get into that. <laughs> Don't you just put a pin in that, buddy. Yes, yeah, and yeah, and, and um, you know it's interesting. And, and as I said, we'll get into this, but how much of the ultimate comics is going to be incorporated here and the movie and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is I actually, I've never read the entire ultimate comics, but I read the first one because someone asked me to do that as a review on a TikTok video. And I read it and I got, I got to tell you when I read that and then I read the miles Morales, um, you know, uh, number one issue when he had his first appearance, I mm-hmm. saw a lot of like overlap and similarities with the storytelling that they had, and which makes sense because they were created by the same person. So yeah, and well, and same writer of both. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So now, I, I remember reading. To, I was like, "Have I read this already?" <laughs> small, small asterisk though. Um, that Miles Morales number one was not his first appearance. Um, his first appearance was an Ultimate Fallout number four. Right. Yes. And that's actually what um, let's go ahead and dive into that, because that was the first yeah, thing I was actually going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So just like you said, um, technically, his first full appearance was Ultimate Fallout number four. And to explain for people who don't know what that issue is about. So there was this whole storyline um, with the Ultimate Marvel Comics, which is basically a different universe. So everybody knows that Marvel Universe, the main universe is Earth 616. But the ultimate universe, it takes place on Earth uh, 1610, I believe. Uh, yes. And in this issue or in the story of like the uh, ultimate ultimatum fallout, I think is what it's called, right? No. Well, Don't ultimate ever conflate ultimatum with anything good. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, ultimate right. fallout. Right. Exactly. And so no. basically – you know, what happens in that event that's talking about the fallout is one of the things that happens is that Peter Parker, as Spider-Man, actually dies in that event. And so issue number four of Ultimate Fallout is like, I think, a series of like three or four character like previews or snippets. Um, because yeah. I know it opens like with Reed Richards for a few pages and then Charles Xavier is in there for a few pages. And then the issue ends with a Spider-Man fighting a villain, I think, Kangaroo, which... By the way, like, you know, all of Spider-Man's villains is like some sort of animal. So I, I imagine at some point Pete is going to kind of come after him at some point, right? <laughs> I, you know. Um, but he's like, everyone sees Spider-Man and doesn't know anything about what's going on when, when this first came out. But sees Spider-Man fighting Kangaroo, and I'm sure everybody was like, wait, what's going on? I thought he had died in, in the uh, event that happened. And then the very last page, you see Spider-Man take off his mask, and it's a completely new Spider-Man, and that's Miles Morales. So that's technically his actual first appearance, but I thought that because that was so short, and you really only got to see Miles at the end, and you don't know anything else about him other than that he you know took on a a, a villain at this point, and everyone said that his suit was in bad taste because Spider-Man is already dead and all that. Yeah, I thought which was like, a great touch. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I I thought that what we could do is actually start with his first full appearance, which is Ultimate Comic Spider-Man issue number one that came mm-hmm. out in September 2011. Now, Matt, it sounds like you know quite a bit about this issue. Do you want to kind of share what this issue is about? Just kind of do a summary of it, or I, I mean, or has it, it been a while? <laughs> 
It, it's been a, it's been a cool minute, but I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna break it down as best I can. So this <clears throat> to to kind of fill in some blanks a little bit. Um, it, the ultimate iteration of Peter Parker died, and he died heroically fighting mm-hmm. the Sinister Six. They'd found out his identity. Um, they'd come to kill him and at Aunt May's, his and Aunt May's home, and he has to protect her. And he has and and beat the the villains. And what's even worse about this is he it has he's been shot on his way swinging there. He fell. He got into the middle of a scuffle between the Ultimates and the Punisher, mm-hmm. and the Punisher shot him. And so he's already like gravely wounded and has to now fight like all six, you know, the green goblin and, um, God, you know, everybody. And he wins. And in true Spider-Man fashion, even when he wins, he loses because a stray spark sets off an explosion behind him and it, it takes his life. And then the issue ends with the ghost of uncle Ben walking him into the light and telling him that he did a really good job. Mm-hmm. And it's like so heartbreaking. It is perfect. Um, just wow. Wow, wow, wow. And I could probably spend this whole episode just talking about how much I love Ultimate Spider-Man. I, I won't mm-hmm. do that. Um, but then this opens the door for Miles Morales. Now, Miles Morales is very different character because he's got his Spidey powers there are some differences. He's got electrical powers for one. He's got a camouflage um, ability for another. And I, I should know this, but I don't. I don't believe he has spider sense. So that's a big difference right there. But Miles is from a happy home. He's mm-hmm. uh, half black, half Puerto Rican. His there's no tragedy in his life, right? Right. And what we find out. Is because as a reader, as as I'm reading through his first arc, is I'm waiting for the Uncle Ben moment, so to speak, mm-hmm. where you know here's the tragedy that spurs young Miles on, and you know history repeats, blah blah. It doesn't happen. It took me a, as a reader a minute to realize, oh, Peter's death is <laughs> the thing that he's that he's becoming a hero from, right? Or, and or inspired by, and that right there. Um, it creates this something that's a relatively new dynamic in Marvel, but old hat for DC, and that's the legacy hero. Right. 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 Yeah. And so Miles does his thing. He never loses um, his dad. His mm. mom stays. His mom does wind up getting killed at one point before Secret Wars miniseries of 2015, 2016, uh, that merged him with the 616 universe. And she came back. So mm-hmm. she got better. It was okay. But um, there's never that moment where his life is defined by tragedy. And that's right. the profound difference between Miles and Peter is he doesn't have the weight of that baggage. Mm hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the moment for miles where he um, it's really interesting because when that whole thing was going on, that actually ends up being like issue four or five where he goes and sees what's happens with Peter Parker and, and sees his death. And that was, 
his mom because when he first got the powers, he said he didn't want the powers. He didn't want to, you know, be a superhero. He just wanted to be a normal kid because in the um, series here, he's actually a grade school. I think he's probably in middle school. Um, yeah, yeah. So, when he starts off, he's middle school. I think I think the character is more in high school age now. Yes, yeah. I, I've lost a little bit of track of where Miles is in more recent years. Right. Yeah, but when all this is happening, when Peter Parker dies, um, this is all when he's in middle school, and so yeah. you know he just he just got into so in issue one, uh, one of the things that you find out with Miles is that his parents wanted him to go into the uh, charter school for Brooklyn, which is called Brooklyn uh, Visions Academy. Yes. And so, you know, he worked really hard to get a chance for it. If you know anything about charter schools, it's a lottery system. And so even yeah. if you did really well, you still have to be selected by random in order to get into the school. And fortunately enough, he did. And what's funny is that his number was 42. And that was also the same number of the spider that bit him um, later on in the issue uh, that was from Alchemax, which is the company that um Oz um that Norman Osborne owned or ran or operated or whatnot. Um so that was the same number that the genetically mutated spider had that ended up biting Miles. So this kind of like a little play of fate there. Um yeah. and so he was in middle school, wanted to just be a normal kid. He's starting this new life and you know didn't know like how he's gonna be able to do all this. Um but then when you know Peter Parker dies, he got this enormous guilt on him feeling that he could have done something to help and that if he was, you know, if he decided to help instead of saying that he didn't want this, maybe he could have saved Spider-Man from dying. And so just like you said, that was definitely his Uncle Ben moment. Um, That was something that definitely happens, I think, in issue like four or five. Yeah. Um, In issue one, you know, kind of going back to the creators of this. So um, Miles Morales is created by Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli, which I think I'm saying that last name correctly. I believe you are. Yeah, and Brian Michael Bendis is known for uh, writing Ultimate um, Spider-Man uh, with Peter Parker, so he's you know already familiar and, and has been involved with this. He also wrote in um, the all-new X-Men, which is funny because Iceman makes an appearance in issue number two, and it's the um, Iceman that he created, I think, if I remember correctly, because it has like a little bandana and all that. It's a very brief cameo. He's not in it for very long. It, it's like one panel he's in there. Okay, yeah, that would have been the ultimate Iceman, because, great, sorry. (laughs) My dog is talking in his sleep over here, it's kind of comical. Um, (laughs) Sorry about that. No, if it was in the second issue, that would have been the the ultimate version of Iceman. Right, that's not the all-new X-Men? Is that different? Is that that not not the all-new X-Men, is that different? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so anyways, yeah. So in that issue, um, it starts off with, um, the first few pages, very reminiscent of the first issue of ultimate Spider-Man, because in both of these issues, Brian Michael Bendis have wrote in that Norman Osborn is talking to somebody at Alchemax and he gives like the same speech. Basically he's talking about the whole story of, um, I think Athena and Arachne, uh, and talking about, you know, what happened with those two and all that. And the same, you know, story. What's funny is that in the scientists he's talking to are two different ones because they're, you know, he's talking about two different spiders, basically, that end yeah. up biting, you know, Peter Parker and Miles Morales. It was just funny that he pretty much used the same story that Norman Osborn gave as, like, kind of the, you know, the compelling speech that he's going to tell people about, you know, why spiders are so significant and things like that. So, um, so it starts off with that. And then, you know, 
later you find out that you know that well, actually the story or the issue it opens up with saying that that was like 11 months prior or something like that yeah and then it kind of skips ahead to like you know present day and by this time not only is spider-man dead but norman osborne is dead as well too and you see the prowler who if you've watched the movie you know that um aaron davis who is miles uncle is the one that's the prowler uh, but at this point we don't know that yet um but he's in that abandoned you know warehouse or abandoned uh scientific lab um stealing you know money and jewels from a safe but that's how the spider from that laboratory actually got into his bag and then later on when miles finds out that he gets into school he goes and visit his uncle and tells him all about it but that's how he get bit by the spiders because the spider came out from the bag and got onto miles yes. and What's different from this in the movie is that um, the movie shows him getting bit and then like he just kind of, you know, killed the spider and whopped it off. In this issue, he actually has like a major reaction that he passes out and is like foaming at the mouth. And then all of a sudden, like he comes to and he's totally fine. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the issue is with um, Miles' dad showing up at the apartment. He's getting to like a argument with uh, Aaron, you know, saying like, you know, why is he over here? And then um, he looks around and sees that Miles is gone. And at the very last panel, Miles is like outside the apartment building, but all of a sudden he turns invisible. And like that's how the issue ends is that you see that yes. his very first power is that camouflage power that he got from from the spider. So, um, so it was a really interesting first appearance. Um, and I think it was really cool just to kind of set up the stage of who he was as a person, as a character, and what some things that he was kind of facing as a, a middle schooler before yeah. you know he got a bit by a spider. But that kind of hits the ground running from that point as well too. Did the first and remind me? Did the first issue? Um set up that miles's father is a policeman not yet like I, okay, I, I did not remember yeah so last night when i was reading this um first of all i really enjoyed it like after i read issue number one like i couldn't stop but you know i couldn't help myself stop reading the next issues because they were just right? really good that i just i kept you know especially when you have marvel unlimited because that's where i was reading at it just says like do you want to read the next issue i'm like yes please and oh I yeah just kept going you know and so it's really easy to get sucked into that but yeah i think i read the first five or six issues and i didn't get the sense that he was a police officer from any of those issues yet okay. so yeah so yeah one of the things later. like that's yeah. one of the big reasons why there's so much tension between him and uncle aaron right is right. they're on, they're literally on opposite sides of the law. Yeah. Well, and, and I think in issue two, when um, his dad sits down with him and tells him, you know, what happened to both him and his father, how they both went to jail. I st I think even then he, I don't think he said that he's a police officer. Like he talks about like how he changed his life and how he met his mom and, and wants his son to be, you know, to, you know, have the best life possible, all that. I don't think it's still known to us that he is a police officer just yet. So, yeah. Um, okay, so that's the first appearance of Miles Morales. Let me see what the comments say here, and then we can talk about those and then um, hop into Spider-Gwen. Um, let's see here. You're the Collector said, Ultimate Spider-Man gave his clone Jessica Drew, who ultimately handed Miles in his Spider-Man costume. And yes, I think that happened in issue three or four, and that was a really cool moment. He got to meet, like, you know, the Ultimates is what they called themselves. They didn't call them Avengers, but they called themselves right. the Ultimates. Yeah. Uh, but Nick Fury was there. Tony Stark was there. Hawkeye was there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we did see that a little bit later on. Um, and that was part of the clone saga. He also said that miles has a great sense of humor, quick with the jokes and banter. Um, and we see, I don't think we see Ganky in this 
issue, I think Genki shows up in issue number two. What's funny about Genki is he's also really comical in that one, but he always wears like some sort of obscure Marvel character t-shirt. So like the first one is Frogman, and then the second um, shirt that he wears in issue three is Howard the Duck. So um, so yeah, so I love their relationship, and I love their uh, comedy. But yeah, Miles is definitely yeah. has that po- sense of humor. Positive, healthy friendships. That's yes. another big difference between Miles and Peter. Yes. <laughs> Um, it's also really weird to me that Ned in the MCU Spider-Man movies is very obviously ganky, but they call him Ned Leeds for whatever reason. Like, yeah, I, that's never made sense to me. That you know, I'm glad you pointed that out because, like, after watching all the Spider-Man movies in MCU and, and all this stuff, I'm like, yeah, it seems like it's very much the same character between the two, and I don't know. Yeah, if that's, that's what I, I just I it doesn't make any sense to call him Ned Leeds because. He's a he's ganky and B he's nothing like Ned Leeds. Yeah, so, that's why I've heard from people. Yeah, <laughs> why they make these choices. Uh, Anthony Bergamini said Miles also quits being Spider-Man for a bit after his mom dies, but then comes back a few years later. Then Secret Wars happens and changes everything. So just like what you said, uh, and Peter and Norman comes back later is always a sore spot for uh, for me. Miles didn't need Peter to give him the okay to be Spider-Man. That's already established by Peter's supporting cast. Uh, and, and he said, but yeah, he that's fine. good. That's actually something that I wanted to touch on was the fact that Aunt May and Mary Jane at one point, I, I cannot remember where it is, but they meet Miles and mm-hmm. give give him their blessing to continue being Spider-Man and upholding Peter's legacy. Right. Which I think which I thought was just great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't got to that part yet. So this okay. is all kind of oh, no, no, spoiler. This is, oh, um, <laughs> but but this is like years ago, so it's like I'm not going to get upset if like anything yeah. spoiled for me. Like this is years yeah, ago. Yeah, it, it 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 creates really solid connective tissue mm-hmm. between the Ultimate Peter era and the Miles era. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it make it makes it feel like more of an organic story, right? Um, and then Anthony went on to say uh, Spider-Man 2 shows that Peter has returned to being Spider-Man at some point. So who knows what Pendus is planning or was planning. Um, and then Year of the Collector said, I'm there with you guys. I read all my Ultimate Comics issue uh, with, in one setting. Pretty good storytelling and art, too. Yeah. And, and that's one of the other things I actually want to say about this issue before we move on to Spider-Gwen is that one of the first things I realized and noticed when I was reading this is the art, Right. And the reason why I noticed this is because the art is very much what you see in the Spider-Man across this or into the Spider-Verse um, animation. So, first of all, the movie, you know, um, they made a point to make sure that it was a combination of CGI and hand-drawn animation. And so that's what gives it like its really unique uh, look. But the filmmakers have said that they also want to make sure that they brought in a lot of inspiration from um, this original series. And there is a lot of the pointillism that you see with like the backgrounds and uh, even in in, like, you know, the character uh, drawings and stuff like that with the little dots uh, that you see in the movie is very much straight from this series as well, too, because I remember just, you know, reading through this. I'm like, this is just like the kind of art style that you see in the movie. And so I was really, really happy to see that they brought in a lot of the inspiration from the original art here into the movie. And I think that's really what gives it um, one of the you know best things about the movies was being able to use that art style. And it's great to see that connection there. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into the first appearance of Spider-Gwen. Um, so as many people know, 
um, Spider Gwen is Gwen Stacy, and Gwen Stacy is actually a character that's been around a long time as a character in the Earth 616 Spider Man universe and was a love interest of Spider Man and Peter Parker as well, too. No, she was the love interest for Peter yes. Parker. Yes, exactly. Until like I think the 70s when they killed her off there or something like that. Um, but yeah, so was, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, yep. Um, so yeah, so this is her first appearance. <laughs> As Spider-Gwen, and what's interesting about this is if you're watching the YouTube video, I have the cover of her first issue of where she appears. It's um, The Edge of Spider-Verse 2014, issue number two, but she's actually known as Spider-Woman in her Earth, which is Earth 65. So I think the name Spider-Gwen comes out a little bit later, but she's known as Spider-Woman here. And she's created by Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez. Um, and so let's talk about this a little bit. What what I find interesting about this story is that I think a lot of the spider characters that we get all have a very similar origin story, right? They got, you know, bit or, you know, something happened with the spider, then they got those powers, right? Same thing here with Spider-Gwen, but what's interesting is that in the first page, they didn't really dive into her origin story. They have like these little images of like what happened to her. So they have the images of, um, you know, spider biting her hand. And then, you know, I guess Peter Parker, you know, was never Spider-Man in her universe, but he was this nerdy high school kid and he was inspired by her to try to, you know, become a hero. So he made some sort of chemical that turned him into lizard. Which I thought was interesting because in the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, they never said that, right? Like Gwen just said that, you know, he died and that she couldn't save him. But he didn't find out from the movie that he actually turned into the lizard. Um, So I thought that was kind of an interesting twist that they had there. Um, And then that was kind of it. Like they didn't really, you know, dive into or have her explain it. It was just like these little images with a couple of dialogue boxes. And they just went straight into the story. So I think that was kind of interesting, but made sense in that they probably gave her just a similar origin story because all the other spider characters did, but they probably didn't want to just like, let's just do this again. Let's just give one page, like quick jump through. And then let's just go ahead and go in the story. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. They did that. I don't know, Matt, if you've read this, if you had like kind of a similar thought to that or not. Yeah, I do. I mean, when I think about, uh, spider Gwen and, and just for, for clarity's sake, I'm going to refer to her as that, even though she's right. technically spider woman. Or right. I guess she's Ghost Spider now, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah we're, we're not talking about now. We're talking about when she first showed up. Right. Um, so th- there's just lots of really neat, like, quarter-turn twists on things that are you're familiar with throughout her origin, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Peter is the Uncle Ben that dies. And right. um, her, her dad is uh, kind of functions like a Commissioner Gordon. In a way, yeah, because he, he's still a cop and um, all that good stuff. And then you know, little things throughout, like eventually in her first or second miniseries, I forget which. Like Daredevil is the or Matt Murdock, your guy, yeah, is uh, the the Kingpin's main henchman. Yes, and he's got all his DD powers, and it's like, oh crap! What if Daredevil was a bad guy? You would be in trouble. Right. Because um, he would kick your ass nine ways to Sunday. Yep. Uh, and then can he could do that because then he could just go to Catholic church and confess and be fine. <laughs> right, because that's how it works. <laughs> this is actually ex- – hey, wait a minute. Our daredevil is the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but no, the thing that here's the thing that really gets me uh, that I love most about Spider Gwen is, and by the way, I just double checked Earth sixty five. That number is not a coincidence or just a random number. It was nineteen sixty five when she first appeared. So, okay. oh, that makes little sense. trivia that I just googled. Um, <laughs> but um, the thing I like about Spider Gwen is she kind of almost retroactively gives Gwen Stacy this whole new agency, mm-hmm. right? Because the death of Gwen Stacy casts such a long shadow over Spider-Man mythos for the last 50 years now, mm-hmm. to the point that it's not hard to say that she's more important in death than she ever was in life. And right. I, I, I hate that. But at the same time, she doesn't have, you know, Gwen Stacy, when she was alive, does not have a lot of her own agency. She pretty much fails the Bechdel test at every at every turn. Yeah, um, she's this cool. You know, she's Peter Parker's girlfriend. That's her function. Mm-hmm. And it's. It's unfortunate. So when we when we turn around and get Spider Gwen, we kind of get this idea of who Gwen Stacy was between the panels, right. or who she could have been between the panels, rather. Right. Uh, and that's cool because Spider Gwen's a cool chick. She mm-hmm. plays um, she plays drums in mm-hmm. the Mary Janes with her friends. Right. Um, she's smart at science. She's a science nerd. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, she's just got this whole fleshed out world of supporting characters and her own drama and um, rogues gallery. Like I was saying, you know, there's there's the evil, maybe not evil daredevil um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that she goes up against. And um, it, it's great. Robbie Rodriguez's art was such an awesome choice. Right. For those early adventures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, personal failings of Jason Latour aside, he really, in those early runnings, uh, created a sense of not just her, but of her world. Mm-hmm. And it, she comes in to existence feeling very fully formed. Right. right. Which, considering, like, similar to Ultimate Fallout number four for Miles, like, her first appearance was super low-key. Right. Nobody, I mean, it was one of the tie-in miniseries issues to uh, the first Spider-Verse, which, by the way, handy-dandy reading material. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I just think she's a wonderful character. Mm -hmm. I, I... I'm not a fan of ghost ghost spider as a name, although I understand why they made her something of in like literally anything other than spider woman. Cause they have like 17 of them running around already. Right. Yeah. Right. But she but, was only spider spider woman in her earth though, which makes sense. But like when you're talking about, you know, the larger universe of, you know, the spider verse and all that. Like, right. Right. Yeah. You kind of do need to make that distinction. And, and Gabrielle, um, and the comments said, was she ever known as Spider Gwen in canon? Because that ain't good secret identity keeping, which I uh, that's agree. A no. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, I think that the comic series title was Spider Gwen, but I don't think she was yes. ever called that inside of the stories, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah. 
So, um, and what's interesting in this issue, um, again, with her first appearance is that not only is she called spider woman, but I think another major distinction between her and Spider-Man is that she is very much, uh, considered a dangerous vigilante in her world. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. in Spider-Man 616, you know, the only person that really seems to not like him is his villains and J Jonah Jameson, but it seems here that, she already is like at disadvantage because everyone sees her as being a dangerous vigilante, at least to begin with. It's, it's you know, if you if you dive back into hit or, here and there throughout the first roughly two hundred issues of Amazing Spider Man, mm-hmm. there there's ebbs and flow of when Peter or Spider Man is considered an outlaw or a danger other to the police and to the general populace. Right. So um, Aunt May always thinks he's a menace of some sort, although <laughs> she's more from a fearful place than an angry place like um, J. Jonah Jameson. Right. But for all intents and purposes, like having spider Gwen be considered that, that outlaw and a danger to society is absolutely a, a very co- good throwback to like OG Spider-Man. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, um, so that was her first appearance and it, it, again, it's a really good one. The art style is very different. I, I gotta say, and this is something I, I've read before as well too. Her suit is definitely one of my favorite suits in the Spider-Verse. And I guess when the character, it's a cool, it's a cool, cool. I don't know if, uh, Robbie Rodriguez is, credited with designing it or not right i assume so probably but yeah. yeah yeah but i you, guess whoever did robbie apologies if it was you and I, i'm just not getting it but um <laughs> yeah kudos that's a stellar outfit yeah and it looks awesome animated and I, and i guess when it when it first came out when the suit was first you know made the comic books it was the most popular cosplay at comic conventions as well too which yeah I can yeah totally see it was and huge that year. yeah i know i i just i absolutely love it i think it's really cool it has you know the hood and it has like a very different design i i love it i mm-hmm. think it's definitely my favorite spider suit out there um, yeah because it incorporates elements of the traditional spidey look mm-hmm. but it does it in an absolutely unique way right yes agreed that and yeah it just jumps off the page at you um seth romo from comic watch said it's wild to see her here matt i've only known him as the digital omnipotent leader of <laughs> comic watch very cool <laughs> hi seth hi anthony gabriel's podcast with me before so i know he knows me yeah <laughs> uh all right so let's dive into miguel o'hara spider-man oh, 2099 snap. here we go <laughs> 2099 Uh, baby yes and before we get into that uh gabriel remind me that it's still popular at conventions i agree my uh cousin's daughter went as spider gwen this year when we went to indiana comic-con and it's uh, it's definitely spider-man in general is probably the most common uh most popular cosplay i see at at comic conventions it's it's really i believe that yeah i mean it's it's and and it's cool because they all have like different styles that you can do and all that um so yeah Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely very popular um, the if I if I may get just absolutely lofty for a moment, the democratization sure. of Spider Man will never be a bad thing. Yes, <laughs> agreed. Um, so Miguel O'Hara's um, first appearance as Spider Man twenty ninety nine is in uh, 
this comic book issue that came out in 1993 called 2099 Unlimited Number One. Um, it takes place in Earth 928, and it's created. Um, and he was created by Peter David and Ricky Leonardi. And what's interesting is when you look at the cover of itself, which for those of you who are listening to the podcast episode, um, it's a cover of um, Spider-Man 2099 that looks like he is fighting a Hulk-like um, creature. And it, it's just, it's really fascinating because he has like really long fingernails and has well, like that, that is Hulk like 2099. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so it, let me, let me just jump in. Yeah. yeah my own spider, my, my own spider sense was tingling a little bit there. Uh-huh. So um, that is what, what you're describing is uh, 2099 unlimited. Number one is Hulk 2099's first appearance. Right. Um, it it's uh spy. So Miguel first shows up technically in the back pages of Amazing Spider-Man 365, they ran a uh, uh, like a, the first four or six issues or pages of the first issue of Twenty Spidey Twenty Nine Nine, which came out shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. So um, the the Unlimited was a quarterly book. Marvel was real big on quarterly books at the time, so they mm-hmm. had X Men Unlimited, Spider Man Unlimited, and basically these books they were oversized. They shipped once every three months essentially uh, to fill in the um, fifth week gaps that would inevitably show up on the schedule. Mm-hmm. So if you had that, that way you were never short of anything and they wanted to hype it up and make it, you know, seem like it was unique. But uh, when you get down to brass tacks, that's kind of what it was. Right. So, um, and it, it did come out, I want to say probably a year or so after Spidey 2099, number one, I, I could be wrong on that. Okay. But by that point, they were really like gung ho with the 2099 concept that had launched super, super, super well. You know, they had uh, Spidey, they had um, the they had Punisher 2099, which nobody understood that it was supposed to be a parody of mm-hmm. Punisher, and and it gets routinely mocked, and it very much shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> And they had a new character named Ravage 2099, who was billed as being the first new character Stan Lee has invented in however many years. And he was trash. It's a very bad <laughs> character. And then the, the, the sleeper hit book was Doom 2099. Okay. And the big hook there for a while was, is this guy actual Dr. Doom or just some nut that thinks he's Doctor Doom. Right. And so they kind of play around with that for a while. And then oddly, as hot as X-Men was at the time, they didn't do a 2099 version of X-Men until the year after. So gotcha. mysteries for another time. Right. But um, yeah, Miguel O'Hara. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting with this being the premiere of Hulk 2099. So I, I just read this this morning um, and maybe I missed it or maybe I don't know. Maybe it's technically in the next issue, but I didn't see Hulk in this issue at all. Um, it's very much a Miguel story. So unless he like, unless he was like the character they have at the beginning, which by the way, they really amped up like how diabetes was going to be the death of people in this issue. Um, you know, not that diabetes is not serious now, but they made it, it almost borderline. Like they, like it was going to be like this new AIDS, like disease or something like that, the way they kind of treated it, which I thought was a little bizarre. Um, but anyways, like I know there's like a person in the beginning. 
Is Hulk 29.9, is that still Bruce Banner or is this somebody else? No, okay. totally new character. Okay, gotcha. Because I know like there's other circles where Bruce lives a long time because of the Hulk. And so I didn't know if that was the same. Ah, that would be Maestro. <laughs> um, boy, that's another one I could do a whole nother uh, just episode talking about is Peter David Hulk right. and slash Maestro. But I, I won't get us too far afield. Right, yeah. Um, so what's interesting with this issue is that w- this is not an origin story for uh, Miguel O'Hara. He's already Spider-Man 2099. Um, the main villain in this issue that he's going up against is somebody named Mutagen, which is kind of like um, – I don't know how you would describe his powers other than – yes. Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have not read this comic. Okay. Yeah. So th- – <laughs> No, no, it's just totally fine. Yeah, so um, so Mutagen's power that um, he's going up against is um, kind of like some sort of um, evolutionary self-defense mechanism where, you know, whenever he gets hit or whatever, like his body kind of absorbs it and then like transforms a little bit. Um, so okay. at one point you see his body turn into like this really hard bone-like shell as a protective um, response. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of see that happen. And the villain Mutagen you find out that his origin story is that he and his wife had a daughter who had a mysterious illness and died. And then that's like his villain story, right? Is that he goes off and tries to, you know, make other people pay for it basically. Okay. Kind of standard villain fare in in his own way. Exactly. Yeah. So um, with Miguel O'Hara, he's, you know, talking to this woman that he works with. It's, you know, it's nineties comics. So there's a lot of like, you know, um, love tensions in there, and like they talk about how you know hot Miguel O'Hara looks and stuff like that. Um, really focusing on the looks and everything. And then when Mutagen shows up on the scene, he you know jumps away to go into his Spider Man 2099 suit and starts fighting him. Um, in this issue, it seems like all the powers he has is very much the traditional Spider-Man, at least in this issue. So I don't know, Matt, I'll be honest. I don't know much about Miguel O'Hara. Maybe you can shed light in terms of what his origin story, in terms of how he became Spider-Man and what kind of powers that he might have. Well, so um, here's Spidey 2099, number one. Mm -hmm. If we cut down on the glare a little bit. Um, And yeah, like you said, Peter David and Rick Leonardi. Um, He is a product of science gone awry Mm -hmm. at the Alchemax corporation which it's always we talked about as being original <laughs> yes now at the time that that's the norman osborne tie is retroactive okay they're just kind of a shady scummy catch-all big corporation in these original 2099 books mm-hmm. so um he miguel o'hara which by the way just like brief aside how great is the um the the mixed ethnicity name there right spanish and and irish that's awesome um uh his mom's alive he's got a little brother you know he's not really driven by tragedy or anything like that um he's a little bit of a rougher around the edges version of spider-man in that like instead of being able to to stick to walls he's got these talons that come up out of his fingertips and he looks crunches into the walls which is pretty cool in and of itself yeah um and uh, somebody will pro- I hope somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he has a spider sense. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's really the, 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 especially those early, ver- those are like the first year or so 
of the 2099 books was really about building this world. And it had, it very much had a feel of um, 90s cyberpunk gone wild, mm-hmm. which, you know, anytime you read a comic um, about what the future is going to look like, it inevitably looks like the future version of whatever decade it's published in. Right. And that's very true of the 2099 books. Yeah. And I mean that in a very loving way. Mm-hmm. Um but they're, they're sometimes some of them have aged well, some better than others. But holistically speaking, they've become a part of the uh, overall Marvel Universe story. I mean, mm-hmm. Miguel O'Hara's traveled to modern times during the Superior Spider-Man stuff. Um, he's obviously been a big player in all the various Spider-Verse stories that have come up. Um, and yeah, he's just got staying power. Right. He's cool. And I, I credit all of that to Peter David, who 92, 93 was probably at the, the absolute peak of his writing powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say it in the, you know, the 30, 31 years since then, he's written nothing good. But I mean, there's just the period where he was absolutely untouchable. And that was why Marvel gave him like the, the flagship title for right. the 2099 line, which. Um, a lot of people may not realize this had actually been percolating in editorial rooms since 1990. Oh, okay. It was originally an idea that was devised by John Byrne of all people. And um, it, it just kind of, you know, Byrne came and went as he typically did mercurially from Marvel's offices. And the ideas sort of stuck around and took other, <coughs> pardon me, other forms and um yeah eventually they uh just in time for spider-man's 30th anniversary they break out spidey 2099 who really is the first spider-man spinoff character not Mm -hmm. counting venom because venom was still a bad guy at that point um instead of I don't know what the hell he is right now in his own book. It's so convoluted, but um, not counting Venom, not counting Carnage, but like Spider-Man um, not character other than, you know, the spider two Spider-Women that had come at that point to like rip to anchor his own book okay. and be pretty successful with it. Um Spider-Man 2099 was the first out of the gate and, it was the last of the original line uh-huh. of those four books to get the axe uh, by 96. So there was obviously something that was there with right. that character. Right. Um, my son, uh, he's 22. He loves uh, Miguel O'Hara. He's just gravitated to that character ever since he was little for whatever reason. And right. you, know, you got to love it because the next generation picking up on something that was big when you were a kid is absolutely essential to the passing of the baton. I hope, you know, one of these days your son latches onto a character and carries it on. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Well, especially, you know, in this day age where when we were growing up, Right, like this sort of thing wasn't really mainstream. It was like more of a no, you know, it no, was like a subculture still, type of thing. So yeah. now that like you know all you know superheroes and these comic book movies are so cool now and everything like that, it's 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 going to be more commonplace and easier to kind of do that sort of thing. Um, 
Anthony Bergamini said, Miguel always came off as the bully. Spider-Man looks like the movie is going to go that way too, which I totally agree. Um, that's exactly yeah. the kind of vibe we got in the trailer. And then uh, Gabriel Jesus said he's our first Latin spider opening the door for, um, I think, Ariana and Miles. I don't know if I pronounced Arania. 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 And yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. That's that's very good. Uh, that's very good observation there, Gabriel. I I didn't think about that. Yeah. So, well, that's good to know about uh, Miguel Hera and and um, his origin story and kind of his powers and things like that. So, um, so these are the you know first appearances of the main characters that we're going to see in Spider Man Across the Spider Verse that comes out uh, this weekend. And so, let's go ahead and switch gears and talk about the comic books that we're reading. So, let me um, switch this over here and um, let's start with what our listeners are reading too. Um, actually, before we get into that, I apologize. Um, let me actually remind people that, again, this show is part of Comic Watch. So if you are interested in being a reviewer of comics, TV, movies, things like that, we are always looking for people to join our team. So if you're interested, we will have a link in the show notes uh, to the application uh, for you to apply if you want to be a reviewer for us. So we're always looking for great people who can do great reviews. Um, and even if you haven't do a review, we always ask people like maybe, you know, do a couple so we can see what your writing style is like. Um, so even if you haven't done a review like formally or anything like that before, that doesn't put you out of the running by any means whatsoever. We definitely want to have people for a lot of people on the team. This is like their first step into doing a formal yes. review of comics and, and uh, media, things like that. So yeah, um, absolutely. I want to, I, if I briefly may, uh, I mean, you're the editor chief. Yes, definitely. Please <laughs> <laughs> do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we are an all volunteer site. Uh, that includes myself. Um, I, mm-hmm. I would love to make money doing this. I assure you, I do not. Uh, it's all about blood, sweat and tears, but it is an outstanding place to cut your teeth and eventually make that next step mm-hmm. to, um, to, a paid site or right. something else. Um, one, one of the guys, uh, one of our former editors is now an assistant editor at Valiant. So yes. yeah. Um, yeah. Like this, it, this is the, this is a great place to make connections folks. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and I'll say this is, um, you know, since being part of comic watch, I've been able to use some of our connections with comic watch to be able to connect with some of the other publishers and creators and things like that. So it's definitely, Oh yeah. 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 Getting, getting to talk to and interview comics professionals that write or draw or do whatever with comics that you love is a perk. Yes, definitely. Uh, JT, the comment said, my review book is good. Go read it. So we probably want a little bit more (laughs) than that. (laughs) Yes. I appreciate your confidence. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then next, uh, the next episode for next week is going to be a review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which I'm going to have guest host Ellie from the All Day Show to come and help us review that movie as well. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the comics that people are reading. Uh, from Comic Watch, we had B-Rat said, uh, I'm reading the 88 Hawk and Dove mini featuring the first appearance of Don Granger as well as the new Titans, starting with Who is Donna Troy and working my way up to the Titans Deathstroke 
Team Titans Total Chaos storyline. It's good. The Hawk and Dove stuff, uh, seeing Hawk as the Re- uh, Reagan era Republican takes me back to when I was little and seeing guys behave exactly this way. Having uh, Liefeld inked by uh, Kessel, I think is how I pronounce your name. Carl Kessel, Carl yeah. Kessel or Kessel, it might, I, I think it might be. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, was a godsend for his art. Probably some of his best work, thanks to Kiesel. Uh, wish their book uh, would have lasted longer. And then- yeah, um, that, that's an interesting little artifact because it came out in 88 when post-crisis DC was still cooling and figuring out what the hell it was. Mm-hmm. And so with characters like... Stupid allergies, sorry. Um Exactly. With characters like Hawk and Dove that are kind of just barely established anyway, they had a ton of latitude to redefine who they were. Right. And a lot of fun little miniseries like this came out of the woodwork from it. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Anthony Bergamini, uh, who is joining us on YouTube Live, um, said Kirby's New Gods is what he's reading. It actually holds up pretty well. It's super interesting. There's definitely some weird stuff that no one talks about, like Orion's group of human companions that constantly remind us that they are just humans, but it's still so much fun. And then um, from the Illumicasters Discord, which, again, if you want to join our Discord, uh, we have a link in the show notes below. Uh, Matt from Hopskeek News said he is reading the Hulk annual number one was Wicked Rad. was a found footage style issue that had some cool horror elements in it. Uh, written by David Peppas, which I know we love. David, he's been on this show. He's um, I think he's been on Comic Watch as well, too. He's been on Comic Watch's show twice. Yes. Um, so yeah, definite friend of the site, and I and I I'm gonna say this next thing not just not because he's a friend of the site, but I, he is in an incredibly short amount of time become a writer. I if his name's on it, I'm gonna grab it. Yes. yes. Anyone out there that read Savage Avengers, you read the best Marvel comic, the most marvelous Marvel comic <laughs> to come out in like the last decade. Yes. Uh, oh my God. He's so great. He under, he knows his characters. He knows his continuity. He lives and breathes this stuff. Mm-hmm. You guys watch in about three years, he's either writing Avengers or an X-Men title. Like in yeah. one of the main X-Men titles. Oh, I'm Bad. sure he will. Yeah. And I've Bad. heard nothing but great things about this Hulk issue as well, too. And I know he was really it's excited cool. about the idea. It's very, very cool. Um, yeah. Being able to take the found footage style of a uh, movie and translate it faithfully to the page mm-hmm. was a pretty monumental task. And he does a very good job with it. Right. Yeah. Um, ODPH podcast from the Illuminacasters Discord as well said Deep Cuts by Image Comics, a very cool depiction of the history of jazz music, which that sounds really cool. And I love that, again, we always associate comics with heroes, but there's so many comic books and stories out there that aren't hero related. That is just a phenomenal story. And it sounds like this is a, a good example of that one. Yeah. Um, Kyle Higgins is writing it and it's, it just looks awesome. Like every issue is oversized. So it's like six or seven bucks a pop. Yeah. Um, but just kind of glancing through it and for, I, forgive me, I don't recall who did the art on it, but um, it looks like one of the best labors of love you're ever going to check out. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It looks, the cover itself looks really cool. Um, 
Let's see here. Uh, Joe Loves Comics said, I started the Tokyo Ghost and first Gideon Falls hardcovers on Friday, so I'll be continuing those. Enjoyed the first issues of them. Um, Matt, are you still with us by chance? Okay, here we go. Yeah, your video yeah. went off for a second. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, uh, allergy emergency. Pardon me. No, no, that's okay. Not a problem. Uh, but yeah, I haven't heard this one before, but I'll definitely have to check this one out. And then um, from Twitter... Fet Bizarro said, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Usagi Yojimbo is rad as F. I kind of bleeped it out a little bit because, again, this is a family-friendly show. I also dug Doom Patrol quite a bit. I haven't finished all my comics for this week, though. Um, I'm a huge Ninja Turtles fan, as many of you know. And I got to say, I have not yet read a Usagi Yojimbo issue or crossover. But, I mean, just the things I've been hearing from other people and the art that I've seen, like, it's definitely something I know I want to get into at some point. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm actually in the same boat. I've, I've never read a Usagi comic. Shame on me. Um, obviously, Stan Sakai has been doing it for decades, so mm-hmm. he must be doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And then our last um, listener share of what they're reading is from Twitter at Year the Loser said, I finally read Strike Force by Howard and Peralta. My God, is what he said. There are so many great moments in this book. Deadpool roasts the entire team. Jessica sucker kicked Blade on the face for shits and giggles. And Jess assuming no one knows each other, but they all knew her full name. Um, I've never heard of Strike Force before, but just this little summary. Makes me want to watch. Uh, makes me want to read this now. So I'm probably yeah. I think it ran for nine issues. They kind of it got canceled, unfortunately, and they mm-hmm. really hosed it, hosed over the creative team, and didn't publish the fi- what would have been the final issue, mm-hmm. uh, number gotcha. ten. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was an oddball comic. It spun out of something, possibly Empire. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Somebody, uh, somebody, correct me on that. Because <laughs> um, I'm probably wrong, but yeah, it was Tenny Howard writing it and Herman Peralta on art, um, and it's it's Blade and a very odd assortment of characters just coming together and doing badass things. Seems so, like it, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. why I'm like, this sounds really interesting. <laughs> Um, all right, so thank you for everybody who shared what they're reading this week. Matt, let's talk about the comics that you are currently reading. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, on top of just regular you know pull box, by pull box stuff um i've been i've been digging into uh some old school marvel two and one and um i love the i i have a huge soft spot for the old school seven bronze age uh team up style books that marvel did mm-hmm. and the reason i they're just fun right, right. there's inherent fun in seeing the thing in two and one or spider-man in team up or you know, whatever, there were several of the other lesser-known titles out there, and just seeing the characters interact. And mm-hmm. the reason it, it's so earnest and is because at this point, you know, the Marvel Universe is just a hair over a decade old. There's still a lot of foundational stuff cooling. There's a lot of just characters that haven't interacted together yet, right? right? And there's just a, a whole wholehearted fun in seeing the thing who's a character who you can put in any circumstance in a, on a superhero comic setting. And he still works. You cannot say that about very many characters, but you can about Ben Grimm Mm -hmm. and just watching him have fun and, and get into shenanigans and team. Like why why is the thing teaming up with Shang-Chi? Who cares? (laughs) It's fun. 
right? Right. <laughs> the guy Shang-Chi fights that they could take him out in two panels. But it's fun nonetheless. And and I just I just adore the purity of these comics. They're not going to change your life if you read them by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but just for old school rock'em sock'em superheroes, that it's a great go-to for me. Um, the Stop. other thing I started reading is oh, wait, uh, hold on, hold on, week- hold on, hold on oh, before we get oh. to that, yeah. Uh, yes. For those who don't know, what's a Marvel two in one? That's the name of the tie of the comic. But I mean, is is there a reason why it's called two in one though? Like, can you explain like what it's, that means? Oh yes. So the format is the thing is the core character, although technically it could be anybody, mm-hmm. and it's just every issue he teams up with somebody different. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think I've heard of two in one before, and so I was just kind of curious, like what that. Dude, look, go fish through some dollar <laughs> bins. You'll find some two in ones. I guarantee you a good time. Right. Um, yeah. and I will also just throw out there my standard nugget whenever I'm talking about two in one. Um, annual number seven from 1983 is bar none one of the best comics ever. <laughs> it's got the thing wearing boxing gloves on the on the cover. That's all you need oh, to know. Oh yes, I think I've seen that one before. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, sorry. So what was your next one? Uh, I A couple weeks ago, uh, DC put out the first of two compendium volumes of Sandman Mystery Theater, which was a Vertigo title that ran for 70 issues starting in 1993. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I believe, one of the premier Vertigo imprint books. It was written by Matt Wagner and later Wagner and um, Steven Siegel. And most of the art throughout the series was done by a gentleman named Guy Davis. Mm -hmm. So um, for those of you who do not know, Golden Age Sandman, Wesley Dodds, sort of one of those interesting characters that bridges the gap between pulp fiction that was a precursor to comics and then the actual golden age comics uh, uh, superheroes. So he's in his first uh, incarnation. He's a guy in a three piece suit, a fedora, a trench coat and a freaking world war one gas mask. And he's got this gas gun that makes people fall asleep. Well, what drives him is, is he has these nightmares that, uh, that push him to, um, go after, you know, figure out what the crime is and right some wrongs, et cetera, et cetera. So um, basically what Sandman Mystery Theater is, is taking that initial concept and turning it into a then then modern uh, Pulp Fiction superhero adjacent comic. And it is awesome. Mm Mm-hmm outstanding stuff uh I, I just for one reason or another i'd never gotten to sandman mystery theater even though i love the concept i love golden age superheroes and i love matt wagner yeah. just you know i just one of the, there's only so many comics where i can read right <laughs> and um but yeah they've dc's done a really good job lately of collecting stuff that not quite ready for an omnibus format because it probably wouldn't sell well enough to justify the cost. So they kind of split the difference and did the compendium, which is a paperback omnibus for all intents and and purposes. Uh, They recently did the same thing with all 80 issues of Starman by James Robinson. Mm -hmm. So um, really great read. If you like moody mystery noir type stuff mixed in with your um, street level superheroes, Cannot go wrong with this comic. Gotcha. 
That's good to hear. Yeah, I I had never heard of like I've I've read the Sandman um, that was and it does have a tangential tie to the Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Right. Yeah. So that that was the only one I've read so far is that first volume of his, but never the uh, mystery theater. So that okay. Was, so yeah, it, it there's there was a one shot called Sandman Mist or excuse me, um, Sandman Midnight Theater. Mm-hmm. It was written by Gaiman that act, like formally wed together Morpheus and the Dream World with the Golden Age Sandman, and it's very cool. Right. It's Diamond, right? Of course it's cool. <laughs> awesome. Um, so what are you reading, Sean? Yeah, so the comics I'm pulling this week, um, I'm actually picking up uh, DC Pride 2023, which I absolutely love last year's DC Pride. They yeah, DC's really- Pride it, one-shots are like heads and tails better than Marvel's every year. Right. Yeah. yeah. Last year's, um, my favorite stories were the one by Kevin Conroy, which everybody absolutely loved that story. Absolutely. And I love um, Stephanie Phillips' story with uh, Kat Kane as well, too, being told from the uh, from the eyes of her father as well. I absolutely love those two stories. All the oh, yeah, right yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to think back on that favorite. one. That was yeah. a good one. Yeah. Uh, the other one I'm reading is uh, Spider-Man 2099. Dark Genesis. This is number five. It's the last one in the series. Um, Mm -hmm. I've made it, you know, no secret that at this point, the reason why I got it is because I thought Daredevil 2099 was going to be in it. I'm a huge fan of Daredevil 2099, but he has not shown up, and I don't think he will. So um, it's just one of those things like I've committed this far, so I might as well finish it out. It's okay. (laughs) It's it's not not terrible. Five issues weekly. Yeah. Steve Orlando. Yeah. We like Steve. Yeah, it's it's a it's a different it's definitely a different format of taking stuff like that. Um, it's like I said, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. It's just it's 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 it is what it is. So mm-hmm. um, I'm also picking up number four of Tales from Nottingham, uh, which the, um, the Nottingham series from David Hazan has been phenomenal. And then I have heard these, nothing but good stuff about that. Yeah, and the Tales from Nottingham are pretty much spin-off series or spin-off issues to take a character from um, the main story and just kind of tell like a one-shot story basically from okay. of that character. And then the last one I am picking up this week is Issue number one of Teenage Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures Continued, which oh, I'm very shoot. excited about because the original like Saturday Morning Adventures that came out last year, um, it was only supposed to be like a four or five uh, issue series. But because so many people loved it that they decided to go ahead and continue on with another series as well, too. So Very cool. Very, very nostalgic. If you are a kid that grew up with the 1987 Ninja Turtles show and just anything from the 80s and 90s, that's what these things have been. They've been very much like, let's play on the nostalgia of the 80s and 90s. And I absolutely loved it for that reason. I'm, so I'm, here, I'm here for that. Yeah. <laughs> as long as as long. As long as it's done for a reason other than just nostalgia. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, they they do a pretty good job of, of incorporating that. Uh, okay. Of like telling like, you know, it's in the same spirit of the cartoon show. Um, right. But they definitely it, it's not kind of a like a cheap device that they use in there. They definitely kind of uh, really hone into it and make it part of a really fun, you know, Silly story, but it's it's really fun. I just absolutely loved it. And it's like brought back things I completely forgot from my childhood as well, too. So it's it's definitely yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 
So those are the comics we're reading. Matt, thank you very much for joining the show to talk to us about Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, and Miguel O'Hara. Before we wrap things up, where can people find you and Comic Watch online? Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter, the Uncanny Matt at Twitter. Um, Comic Watch, we're also on Twitter. Um, Sean, are we still on Instagram? <laughs> I mean, we're on it. Yeah, I mean, I I know I haven't really been keeping up with the social media part of it, but we still have Those, an Instagram I, I, account. No worries. We're anything. also on yeah. Facebook. Um, and then, yeah, you can find us online at comic-watch.com. Um, fandom news and pro reviews since 2017. <laughs> we're killing it. Yes. Yeah, definitely check it out. So, well, again, thank you very much, Matt. And thanks for everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, definitely. This was fun. I'm happy to do it again anytime. Good. And thanks for everybody who joined in for the YouTube live and uh, tune in for next week's episode when we will review the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse movie. And that wraps up another episode of The Caps and Life. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caps and Life. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsandlife.com. Oh,